studying the fifth chapter which is on jnana yoga it's uh, the path of knowledge which is probably why i like it a little more than maybe other chapters we have had some wonderful verses um in the 16th and 17th verses we saw uh, knowledge is compared to a blazing sun which destroys the darkness of ignorance adityavad gyanam Uh, knowledge like the sun the sun rising removes all darkness just as it as it illumines the, all objects in daytime things in in broad daylight are seen so clearly indubitably exactly like that the person of enlightenment he or she will realize uh, that i am brahman brahman is the only reality the world is an appearance of brahman um this will be absolutely clear not something abstract not um, um, you know not philosophy or speculation not a theory not even something that you believe in or you would wish for to be true but and a choicelessly uh, a fact which is choicelessly there it doesn't even depend upon you anymore it's a fact once that breakthrough happens then the 17th verse was interesting there the the uh i mean shri krishna tells arjuna how to how to get this knowledge he gives uh, four stages he says uh, the general interpretation is this tat parayana you have to be devoted to uh, to spirituality you you must make up your mind that i will become enlightened this will be my purpose in life and this is not crazy also because from a vedantic perspective this is the purpose of human life all of us the purpose of our life is this uh, even if we think that it is not the purpose of my life i have got some other aim in life we just we don't know we don't realize what we are saying whatever be our goal in life whether it be family or you know a career or being rich or science or art or whatever be our goal in life basically we are aiming at uh, fulfillment we're trying to get happiness fulfillment deep lasting happiness overcome suffering know the very secret of existence what is all this this is this is the fundamental questions to which we are trying to um get answers is um, we're trying to get solutions in our life and this is basically the quest for enlightenment so knowingly or unknowingly everybody is moving towards enlightenment so tat parayana means consciously knowingly deliberately making up your mind and telling yourself at least even if nobody else telling yourself at least goal of my life is god i mean i i've repeated this number of times but i really like it so much that you know mahatma gandhi says that um, uh, when people ask me uh, who am i and people think some people think i'm a freedom fighter something that i'm a politician something that i'm a social reformer uh, you know many things but if you ask me i am a simple man in search of god and that's what we must all be able to say that is our true identity so tat parayana means being completely dedicated to uh, enlightenment god realization it need not be in this particular vedantic path that i want to realize it 
you know, that I am Brahman and this, this particular Vedantic paradigm, if you take it up, very good. But there are so many people who are spiritual without being particularly, you know, non-dualistic, Vedantic. That's also all right. Um, the search for God in any form, in any religion, it, it's, it's, this is what is meant, Tatparayana. Tannishthaha. Now, not just making up your mind that that's my goal, actually dedicating your life to it. So in a Vedantic sense, it would mean uh, pursuing Shravana and Manana, uh, you know, uh, coming, turning up for class and reading this and thinking about it and, uh, you know, getting clarity and conviction about the Vedantic teachings, which we are all studying, trying to put it into practice in our lives. And then Tadatmana. So after you get clarity, conviction, being one with it. That means giving your mind to it in, in, in Nididhyas, in a Vedantic meditation, becoming one with those teachings. Uh, the result will be Tadbuddhaya. I'm on 17th verse. Tadbuddhaya. Tadbuddhaya means you, that knowledge, that breakthrough comes. Aham Brahmasmi will come. So you see, starting spiritual life, that means includes getting all the qualifications, the fourfold qualifications, developing an ethical life, a disciplined life. Then... Shravana and Manana in Vedanta, then Nididhyasana, uh, and then the breakthrough. That's one interpretation. That's um, uh, the general interpretation. But last time I gave a more advanced interpretation. Advanced interpretation was once you have the clarity and conviction, the breakthrough, then this is all about making that knowledge stable, um, you know, becoming a Jivan Mukta. So you start with Tad Buddhaya, that knowledge arises. Then you stay with that knowledge, day in and day out, um, you know, intense meditation on the realization, aham brahmasmi, stay with it. So that is called tadatmana. Tannishtaha, uh, cut aside all other activities which may take you away from your Vedantic meditation. It's a very monastic lifestyle which is being uh, indicated here. And tatparayana, even when other activities are going on, uh, this should all, you know, in every activity you should see Brahman. So that's the more advanced interpretation of this verse. But basically what it means is um, our life should be a quest for enlightenment. Uh, this should be not one of the boxes we will tick. So uh, I've got a million dollars, I've got a country house and I've got a vacation to the Bahamas uh, and also enlightenment. One more, tick the box. Uh, I, I once in an ashram in the Himalayas I met this young man from America. It's a long time before I came here. So this young man, he was sitting under a tree and reading Ashtavakra. So anybody who wants instant enlightenment, they go straight to Ashtavakra. And so I asked him, what are you doing here? And he said, he works for a firm in Wall Street and he has taken a two-month sabbatical. So the two months is for becoming enlightened. And he's feeling depressed because the two months are almost over and he hasn't got enlightenment in and he has to rejoin his office back here in Manhattan. So I, I didn't know what to say. I sort of mumbled that, well, it takes a little bit of more time. You know, you should, don't be in such a hurry. And he scolded me. I was a young monk at that time. He scolded me. He said, no, this is not Sri Ramakrishna's attitude. Sri Ramakrishna said this kind of uh, casual, relaxed approach to spiritual life I don't like. Yeah, I must become enlightened. That is true. It's a good, good thing to feel that I must become enlightened now. But to give it two months and also on top of that, uh, that is one of the things that I have to do before getting back to Manhattan and rejoining my job. So uh, it's not like that. The goal of your life now becomes enlightenment. So someone like 
and re- remember the great insight of sri krishna in all of this is that you need not actually be a monk in the mountains you may be but you need not be you could be a person involved in a lot of activities in the world look at mahatma gandhi who was more busy than him uh, i remember when i was a young brahmachari in deoghar ramkrishna mission deoghar so i used to frequent the library there a lot i was always impressed to see there were almiras full of the complete works of mahatma gandhi if i'm not sh- uh, wrong if i'm not wrong i have to check this it was one set multiple almiras almiras were full of one set of mahatma gandhi's complete works so that was 100 volumes or more can you imagine a one person doing all that writing and all that social uh, activity you know to uplift uh, the harijans and so many the, the uh, upliftment of the villages um, the basic education you know the buniyadi shiksha the basic education which he started um harmony between religions and on top of that all his political activity for the freedom of india against the british rule all of that and in the midst of that he is spiritual his whole point is this is all of it is my spiritual activity it is my worship of god so that's uh, that's the spirit of the bhagavad gita in the midst of all activities you can still sincerely say all of this is my quest for god realization so that's why sri krishna is telling all this to arjuna and saying that you can still fight the battle do your duty and be spiritual they're not two different things so this is a, the great teaching of the bhagavad gita i told this story earlier but let me repeat this uh, mahapurush maharaj swami shivananda ji was the uh, president of belur math and uh, one day this gentleman comes to him this 1920s early 1920s comes to him and at that time mahatma gandhi had started his non cooperation movement against the british uh, rulers so this gentleman comes to him and uh, you know complains that all these young boys they are dropping out of college and they're neglecting their duties their studies and their duties and they're going on to join um, um the movement started by mahatma gandhi against the british rule they're just troublemakers they're just avoiding the responsibility isn't it very bad and swami shivananda kept quiet then a couple of days later again the gentleman had come and this time a young man had come to become a monk so he bowed down to swami shivananda ji who was the head of the order at that time and he was given blessings and sent off to the monastery and this uh, gentleman was grumbling swami is this right now mahatma gandhi is leading the nation in in a struggle for freedom against the british rulers and this young man is avoiding all those responsibilities and coming and becoming a monk you know when the nation needs him then swami shivananda ji could not keep quiet anymore he said look here uh, i am quite sure that this uh, that mahatma gandhi in the midst of all his activities and responsibilities and all of this he enjoys peace of mind and this young man who has given up the world uh, you know a career and family and friends and will pursue god realization one pointedly i'm sure he will enjoy peace of mind the only one i find without peace of mind is you sir so, <laughs> yes uh, in fact 
I'm going to speak up. The reason I'm going on and on about Mahatma Gandhi is actually there's a talk coming up at a uh, institute in Los Angeles. Of course, it's all online now. Uh, next week, so uh, I think I'll tell this story. The reason I'll tell this story, the one I just said, I'll tell this story is right now. There are. Uh, it's it's sad how Mahatma Gandhi is the target of criticism from different angles now. Uh, so <laughs> there are uh, right-wing people who criticize Mahatma Gandhi for apparently he loved the Muslims too much. And there are uh, extra liberal, you know, the woke liberal kinds who criticize Mahatma Gandhi for being that he's not liberal enough. Uh, apparently he was racist in some way. So I think this story fits that uh, he enjoyed peace. It's the, these people on all sides of the political spectrum who, who have no peace, not only peace, they have no genuine sympathy for anybody at all. It's just, uh, uh, you know, taking up different positions and uh, making a name for themselves by... It, it's easiest to become famous if they target somebody uh, who is, uh, who is uh, you know, like so high and famous like Mahatma Gandhi. Okay. Now, moving on. The next two verses are very beautiful. Let me chant and then we will talk about it. Vidya Vinaya Sampanne Brahmane Gavihastini Shuni Chaiva Shwapakecha Pandita Samadarshina The wise look with equal eye on a brahmana endowed with learning and humility, a cow, an elephant, a dog, and an outcast. So this enlightenment, when it comes, what is the form of that enlightenment? Remember in Advaita Vedanta, two stages. First and most important is we realize what we are. So Advaita Vedanta questions this basic assumption that we are a body-mind. No, you are not. And then there are all these processes of investigating um, our experience of ourselves. Are you really this body? Uh, are you really this mind or this personality which you identify yourself with? The method that Vedanta employs to find out who am I is actually, if you look at it carefully, it is to find out who or what I am not. It is actually a negation, a neti. The only way of discovering the rope is to negate the snake, the false snake. So what I am not, that is, uh, that clarity comes. When I begin to realize this, then what I am is intuitively realized. So why can't you directly say what I am? You can't directly say it because we have no experience of that. If you just say you are pure consciousness, what is pure consciousness? What is pure consciousness? Rather, if I, my attention is now drawn, instead of talking about pure consciousness, my attention is drawn, all right, notice this body. And for these, these reasons, you are not the body. You become at least intellectually convinced that yes, I am not quite the body, but I never said I was the body, I am the person in the body. All right, let's now notice. Notice the person in the body. What are you? Are you the breath? Are you the thoughts or the emotions, the perceptions, the memory? And one by one, we begin to see we, we could not be any one of them really, nor a combination of all of them. 
in this process we are going from the gross to the subtle from the outer to the inner and as we do that we will begin to appreciate what is meant by consciousness or awareness awareness is not a body it's not something goes go inner and more subtle breath not even that because we are aware of it it is not awareness are the perceptions seeing hearing smelling tasting touching again not even that go more inwards more subtle thoughts emotions feelings not even that because we are aware of those more subtle more inwards the very understanding which we are using now not even that that also changes and that also we are aware of that's also changing objective and we are aware of thoughts we are aware of understanding we are aware of the intellect even the ego i the feeling of i it's a feeling it, it it's a function of the mind are you the ego itself no even the ego can is can be appreciated as an object of your awareness when we begin to realize what awareness is what consciousness is i am indiscriminately using words like awareness and consciousness what awareness or consciousness is in itself apart from body apart from mind perceptions memories intellect apart from all of that apart from even blankness apart from all of that we begin to appreciate and when we appreciate we don't see it as an object it can't be seen as an object if you say i am experiencing my awareness you are experiencing something else it is awareness which is experiencing or illumining so we begin to realize that what awareness is and we realize we must be that constant awareness which illumines all change a change in the intellect change in the mind change in the prana change in the body change in the world all of that is illumined illumined means we experience it that is revealed by this constant awareness and this awareness is um, not attached to anything body mind thoughts they come and go they are all revealed they are coming and going are revealed by the same awareness so it does not stick nothing sticks to it it is uh, uh, by implication it must be immortal it does not come and go other things come and go all of these things we realize and that's the first thing this is the meaning of atma this is the meaning of consciousness the second big thing the great thing we have realized in this chapter this first thing we have realized it's already there in chapter 2 um, the nature of the atman has been taught by the first thing that krishna taught arjuna was the nature of the atman who am i in the second step is this who am i this consciousness we discover is it one in each body or is is it one for all living beings billions of living beings have they one consciousness or are they separate bodies are separate minds are separate living beings are separate so it, do they have separate consciousness it seems to be logical then we discover no it is one consciousness in all beings when we go further all these beings the bodies themselves the minds and the external universe what is their relationship with awareness are they separate is it like light and there is light here and there is a book here and the light illumines the book here so is awareness like a light it's often compared to a light which reveals everything so but everything is separate from awareness just that the book and the light are separate they're not the same thing or is awareness and what it reveals 
are they one and the same thing in the sense that what is revealed by awareness is not apart from awareness. Awareness is independent of it. Awareness is separate from what it reveals. But what it reveals is it separate from awareness. That sadhu who put it very beautifully. Drashta to drishya se alag hai. Drishya kya drashta se alag hai? What drashta and drishya means seer and seen. The seer is definitely distinct um, from the seen. You the seer, you're definitely distinct from the seen. But what you see, is it distinct from you? What does that mean? Very simple. Think of the dream. In the dream, you see so many things. People and places and all of that. And you are the seer, you are the dreamer. Take it in a very simple way, the way we dream. Now, you the dreamer are not the things which you are seeing there. Clearly, you are different from them. But they are not different from you. Everything that you see in the dream is nothing other than you, the dreamer. It's, it appears in your mind. What else is it? It has no independent existence. Similarly, we suddenly realize the next step in Advaita Vedanta. So all this was the first step. The next step in Advaita Vedanta is non-duality. That we realize all of this vast variety which we are seeing is not different from the consciousness which sees, sees meets experiences. All that consciousness experiences is not different from it. By the way, when I say consciousness experiences, somebody asked a question. My consciousness is experiencing, but this is not correct because to experience something, you must change. When I see something, my eyes are active. They are changing. When I think of something, that's an experience. My mind is changing. So if consciousness experiences something, consciousness will, will, will change. But according to Advaita Vedanta, consciousness is beyond change. Uh, so when I say consciousness experiences, what I mean is consciousness does not directly experience. Consciousness illumines the mind with the reflected consciousness. It's the mind which is changing into vrittis and giving rise to various experiences. But the presence of consciousness is, uh, is absolutely essential. Without the presence of consciousness, there will be no experience. It's like all the objects may be there, but if I don't switch on the light, there will be no illumination. So all the objects which are experienced by consciousness are not different from consciousness. Just like all the objects experienced by mind are not different from the mind in the dream. So this is non-duality. The variety of objects cannot be proved to exist apart from consciousness. And this becomes even more clear when you realize consciousness itself is existence. So it becomes... Um, what is called in mathematics or logic, tautological. All these variety of objects cannot be proved to exist apart from existence, obviously. Apart from existence, non-existence. So nothing exists apart from existence itself or sat itself. And that sat itself is consciousness. I'm making a number of jumps, but many of you have studied Mandokya Upanishad and Drigdrishya Viveka Parokshanabhuti. You know the in-between steps. Okay. Why am I saying all this? This existence consciousness is you, the real you. And that you have, we have realized now in the last two verses, we have come to this realization. Like the sun illumining everything, it becomes clear to us at the point of enlightenment that I am this existence consciousness. Unlimited being, unlimited awareness, and this very unlimitedness of being and awareness is ananda, is bliss. So this is Satchidananda. Sat 
unlimited existence, immortal existence. This is immortality. Chit, unlimited awareness. Behind every knowledge is this consciousness. Ananda, this unlimited fulfillment, ever fulfilled. This Satchidananda, you are. And the world is not separate from this. Because the world is not separate from this, everything that you experience, all the variety of objects in all the different places at all different times, good and bad, pleasant and unpleasant, desirable and undesirable, noble and ignoble, all of it is in reality nothing other than this Satchidananda. Just as all the um, things that we experience in the dream, you meet your beloved friend in the dream, and you meet a very uh, maybe annoying mosquito in the dream, and uh, you visit a beautiful place and see a beautiful sunset, and maybe you see a dirty place and a, a drain or something. All of that is what? All of that is nothing other than you, the dreamer. Exactly like that, all of this entire universe, good and bad, all of it is actually not the universe, not the good and the bad, not people and places, not particles and um, you know, uh, animals and birds, uh, not quasars or um, uh, what are they, like uh, you know, quarks, quasars and quarks, but this being consciousness. And with the network of Maya, it appears in this way. Since it is so, then the person of enlightenment will know at heart that whoever he or whatever he is interacting with, he or she, it is the same reality. And um, so that is the verse which, which we just read. One of the consequences of enlightenment is this same-sightedness. Now it sounds like a vision defect, near-sighted, far-sighted, <laughs> same-sighted. But same-sighted means, means uh, seeing the uh, one, one reality in all beings, one Brahman in all beings. So the way Krishna puts it, what is the form of enlightenment? This is enlightenment after completing the two stages. I am Satchidananda, and the world is nothing other than Satchidananda. Then, Vidya Vinaya Sampanne Brahmane. The Brahmana, the real Brahmana. The real Brahman is who? The one who is enlightened. So, the real definition of Brahman in the Vedas, in the Upanishads, is one who is enlightened. Uh, this, not the person who belongs to a particular caste. That's the secondary meaning. The real meaning of Brahman is the one who is enlightened. Um, vidya Sampanna. Vidya Vinaya Sampanna. That means, Vidya means knowledge. So this person is full of spiritual knowledge. And Vinaya, Vinaya literally means humility. But Vidya and Vinaya, you know, there's a saying which we learnt as kids in India. Vidya Dadati Vinayam. So true knowledge gives rise to humility. It is just a little bit of knowledge that gives rise to arrogance. But real deep knowledge gives rise to humility. It's just not hu humility. It's the manifestation of that knowledge. So the spiritual knowledge, the realization has come. Aham Brahmasmi. But even that is all internal. I, I mean, the, the enlightened person has realized it. Fine. But how do we know externally? We must see the manifestation of that knowledge. And how is the, what is the manifestation of that knowledge? First of all, has it solved your problems? Can you say that I am at peace? The enlightened person should be able to say, at the very least, I am at peace, permanently so. No matter whatever is going on in life, 
with other people, with one's own health, um, with whatever is going on, difficulties, troubles, the enlightened person will say, I'm all right, I'm fine. So, I mean, Shivanandaji, I like that. It's funny, you know, in the old age, he was the president of the Ramakrishna order at that time. And uh, he suffered terribly from asthma and other things. So one night, uh, the news was that the Swami, the head of the order, he suffered all night. He could not sleep because of asthmatic attacks. Next morning, the monks, as usual, went to bow down to the president of the order. And one of the monks asked, Swami, uh, uh, are you well? How are you today? And Swami Shivanandaji answered, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Then this monk was taken aback. He said, but we heard that last night you didn't get sleep and uh, you're suffering. Shivananji, as if a great light dawned on him. Oh, you mean the body? It's not at all fine. It's not doing well at all. <laughs> so this clarity. Um, he's not trying to say that everything's fine at the level of the body also. He knows it's a, there's a problem. But he's fine with it. I have myself seen Swami uh, Ranganathanandaji, the 13th president of, of our order. After he got a stroke in the brain, and then he, with a lot of physiotherapy and all, he recovered, uh, you know, his speech had become slurred and his movements had become the uh, usual problems after a stroke, but he recovered more or less well. And then he, he was explaining to us what happens in a stroke. He's the patient. He was explaining how um, there's a disruption of the blood supply to certain regions of the brain. Everything is explaining as if it's an object. He became quite interested in how a stroke happens after that. And he read up on books on it. You know. But it's just like looking at an object. He is perfectly unconcerned about it. So, manifestation of your enlightenment. Have you solved your own problems? That is first. Now, the enlightened person has no more right to grumble. That's one right you lose when you become enlightened. No more grumbling. And... Then, is it manifested as um, unselfishness, serenity, love for others, um, of, you know, an attitude of, of service, of being a well-wisher for everybody, of um, deep, very natural sympathy for the sorrows of others. Um, so, so all the qualities of a saint, to some extent, they must manifest in our lives. That is what is meant by Vidya Vinaya Sampanin. It's not just Vedantic knowledge, not even just Vedantic enlightenment, but the qualities which should come, the ethical manifestation. So that's why I like Swami Vivekananda's definition of religion. Religion is the manifestation of the divinity already within us, not knowledge of the divinity. Just knowledge is not enough. Not even, you know, like enlightenment. He uses the words realization or manifestation. So you're a very practical spiritualist. It's wonderful that you get these visions. It's wonderful that you have these sublime feelings. It's wonderful that you have realized uh, clarity has come. I understand what is meant by consciousness and I am that consciousness. All very good. But is it being manifested? Are you able to overcome your suffering? And are you a blessing to yourself and to others around you? So that is what is meant by Vidya Vinaya Sampanne. Such a Brahman, Brahmin, Brahmin means enlightened person. Um, such a Brahmin. And then he says, in such a Brahmin, same reality, the enlightened person sees. This is another enlightened person. The enlightened person sees the same reality in, in this enlightened person. Gavi, in a cow, 
Hastini in an elephant. Uh, in Shuni in a dog. Chopake in in a in the in a most uncultured person. Literally, it means the dog eater. So I'll tell you about these examples. Why these examples were used. Now, what it means is exactly what the Holy Mother said. Masha'Allah, she said at once. She said, um, "Just as Sharat is my son, so too is Amjad my son." Sharatu jaman amar chile, Amjad taman amar chile. Who is Sharat? Swami Saradanandji, the direct disciple of Sri Ramakrishna, the author of the great master, and the you know the wonderful book, the authoritative biography, spiritual biography of Sri Ramakrishna. He was the first general secretary of our order, um, a, a Jivan Mukta, an enlightened person, Brahmagyani, knower of Brahman, one of the first generation of monks of our order. And the Holy Mother Mashada says, just as he is my son, exactly in the same, same way, Amjad also is my son. Who was Amjad? He was a Muslim dacoit, a, a, a robber who lived in the neighborhood, in the village, in, in Jarambati and he would rob people but he had a great respect for the Holy Mother and he was won over by her uh, kindness and her love but look here is this enlightened monk and here is a person who is not even of your own religion uh, uh, who is a Muslim here is this person who is so uh, has all the wonderful qualities literally Vidya Vinaya Sampanne Brahmane literally uh, an amazing example of, of the perfected spiritual person. And here is a person who is a robber who spends half of his time in jail. And yet, how can the Holy Mother say they are not only, just, not only they are both my children, they are exactly the same to me. She would say at other times, I am the mother of the good and I am the mother of the wicked. If you even if they, you have nobody, always remember you have a mother. So how can she say that? Where the differences are so obvious. And Krishna goes further. A cow, an elephant, and a dog. Now these examples, you'd see it in the Indian context. So cow was, was and is uh, highly revered because of many cultural and religious re reasons. So in certain parts of India, definitely cow is even worshipped. So it is like the abode of the gods like that. So a cow, in, but it's an animal. It's still an animal. And then an elephant. Uh, not as highly revered as the cow, but in some places, especially in the south of India, it's, it's a, a well-known temple animal. So it, it's there in pro temple procession. So temples are um, they pride themselves in not how many SUVs they have, maybe these days do, but they would pride themselves in how many elephants they have. Why in temples? Ashrams also. I remember uh, when we were young novices in Deoghar, the head of, of another monastery came visiting. So in order to establish his superiority over our Swami, the Swami was in charge of our ashram, the Mahanta of our ashram, the abbot. So the visiting Swami, First thing he asked was, how many elephants do you have? I have four or five elephants, something like that. He said, and how many elephants do you have? And our poor Swami said, I, but I have none. And so obviously the 
hierarchy was established. I am a bigger Swami than you are because I have five elephants and you have none. <laughs> so elephant is, is a, a symbol of, I mean, maybe because it's a symbol of Ganesha also, it could be that. But it's a, it's a temple animal and it's also respected. But it's still an animal. And the enlightened person sees this fully realized Jivan Mukta, enlightened being, the same what he sees in this enlightened being, the same Brahman he sees in the cow, he sees in the elephant. And then again he sees in the dog, in Shuni, in the dog. So in the ancient Indian hierarchy of animals, the dog was considered an unclean animal and lowest. So this kind of classification doesn't work here in the United States today. The dog would be much higher ranked, maybe even above the enlightened person. <laughs> just next to God. The DOG is just next to G-O-D. So it needs some explanation. But there it was um, uh, uh, seen as an unclean animal, the lowest of animals. Uh, no longer so. I mean, dog is very uh, popular in India nowadays, but obviously not as popular as it's in New York. You just have to go out to Central Park and see how pampered the dogs are. I've seen... Uh, poor baby being a toddler being dragged along uh, willy-nilly by its mother but in the pram the dog is sitting there so, <laughs> i've seen another place leash there's a baby leash and a leash for the dog and the mother is uh, holding a mobile phone in one hand and two leashes in the other one leash is connected to the toddler and the one to the dog <laughs> so th this example has to be understood in its context there, the dog was regarded as an unclean or low animal. But even in that, the enlightened person sees the same divinity, not one bit less, exactly the same divinity as in the fully enlightened uh, Jivan Mukta. Just as Sharat is my child, Amjad too is my child, like that. Um, though, in, though the differences are vast. And then... Um, the most cultivated, enlightened, the most superior among human beings, the enlightened being, and the most inferior among enlightened uh, among human beings. This is Shopake, the dog eater, who is an outcast, uh, uh, who is um, inferior in learning, in manners, and uh, has the lowest status in society. You have to understand uh, ancient Indian sort of life, ancient even until recent times. So outcast. And, then, and you see the same divinity in the outcast also, as in the enlightened person, as in the cow or the elephant or the dog. I was reading Joseph Campbell. Joseph Campbell went from New York to India in the 1950s with Swami Nikhilanandaji. And he wrote this book, um, Bakshish and Brahman. So he was unsparing about all the um, filth and corruption and all that he found in India. But he says on the surface it's like, it's so filthy. But there's this amazing civilization underneath it. Uh, this, uh, he's ecstatic about that. But he's very critical about what he found, found in the, you know, the dirtiness and the uh, although many things have changed. For example, he notes that even the big cities in India, Delhi and Calcutta, he visited all of that and he said um, you hardly see any woman outside. Um, and that has changed so much in the last 50, 60 years. You see women now going to work in every sphere of life. Um, but Joseph Campbell uh, also notices the reverence for the cow. 
and he he notes it is dry humor he says this this cow silliness has to stop <laughs> this cow silliness has to stop i remember in santa barbara one of the nuns told me american nuns she told me that many years ago an indian swami not prabhavanand ji somebody else so he was grumbling about why there is a why the nuns had kept a dog in the uh, in the convent and he was saying well dog instead of a dog um, how about you keep a cow <laughs> a pet i don't know what central park would be like if everybody took their cows out for a walk um shuni chaiva shopakaicha pandita samadarshina the pandit has the same vision of divinity in all of these beings who is a pandit a real pandit now this pandit the word has entered into uh, the english language so there's a wall street pandit and a, and an uh, election pandit so pandit is like a, an expert who gives opinions about different things in society the word pandit uh, originally in sanskrit meant a scholar so in india all sanskrit scholars are called pandits but the derivation shankaracharya gives in some place in his commentary in the bhagavad gita pandit is panda it comes from the word panda panda means atma vishaya pragya we often think panda is a temple you know in uh, puri jagannath or in dakshineshwar and all these are these brahmin priests are there who will give you a tour and offer puja on your behalf and try to extract as much money from you and we think that's our idea of a panda but the word panda actually means um the enlightenment about the self atma vishaya pragya that's the definition of panda given in uh, bhagavad gita commentary by shankaracharya so a pandit is one who has realization about the atman that's the real meaning that's the uh, etymological derivation one of the derivations of the word pandit atma vishaya pragya that is panda and one who has it is called pandit and this pandit what does he see his enlightenment his or her enlightenment is that in the highest saint and in the most uncultured person in a cow in an elephant in a dog in fact in every being he sees the same divinity not more or less and yet so here is the level the two levels of truth paramarthika and vyavaharika paramarthika absolute truth it's all brahman vyavaharika at the transactional level You, you will deal with life as it comes so when the dog comes you don't bow down to it and uh, chant the uh, verses in praise of the guru uh, you don't do that um, or when the enlightened saint comes to your house you don't offer it a dog biscuit so you do exactly what is necessary how does that work once you realize all the ornaments are made of gold does that prevent you from recognizing a necklace for a necklace or a bracelet for a necklace of course not you will still put the necklace on your neck and the bracelet on your uh, wrist and if somebody says but it's all gold why are you putting the necklace in gold you can put now put the necklace on your wrist and the bracelet you can put on your ear or something no we understand that there are two levels of reality so we we do that in in our day to day life also similarly the enlightened person will know how to behave and in fact the enlightened person can uh, can behave in a much better way because of enlightenment that the per- little petty personal equations we have will not operate in the case of this enlightened person because the enlightened person knows 
everything is Brahman and everybody is nothing other than Brahman. God is present everywhere, inside and outside. Therefore, he or she will have the highest respect, in fact, devotion for everybody he or she meets and will act properly, whatever is necessary in each, each case with people whom he can help, he will help. That will be the worship he's giving to Brahman there. To the hungry, he will offer food. That is his worship to God. To the ignorant, he will offer education. That is his worship to Brahman in that form. Um, to the saintly person, he will go and sit at his feet and learn about Vedanta. That's also the, the worship of, of, uh, of God in that, that form. So in whatever form, all of it will become um, an expression of the divinity. It will not, this realization of Brahman will not hamper. It will help you in day-to-day -day life. Of course, again, let me qualify that. There are people, um, Jivan Muktas, enlightened persons, who become so absorbed in God consciousness that they find it difficult to function in day-to-day -day life. We know such stories of such saints, you know, who, the saint who came to Dakshineshwar, and Sri Ramakrishna saw him who was uh, eating the food after food. Uh, people have eaten food and the leftovers are thrown away. And there's a dog eating the leftovers. And this <coughs> apparently madman, but also apparently an enlightened person, is eating together with the dog. He's put his one hand on the dog's shoulder. The dog is also eating and he's also <laughs> so, uh, eating. You think he's mentally unwell or insane? No, he's actually an enlightened person uh, who, for such people, the... The differences which appear in the uh, apparent level of truth, Devaharika, those differences are be becoming slowly erased. And the underlying divinity is shining forth so strongly, it's difficult for them to function at our level. That might also happen. These ha it happens to people who are very deeply immersed in God consciousness. Same Swami Shivananda. So every day, monks and devotees would come and bow down to him. He was the president of the Ramakrishna order. Now, it was seen that he would bow down to them also. And it really made people feel uncomfortable. So you're bowing, bowing down to the president of the Ramakrishna order and you know he's a disciple of Sri Ramakrishna. He's an enlightened person. You bow down to him and he bows down to you. You feel uncomfortable. And he says, Swami, why are you doing that? And then he said, what can I do? When these people, they come to me, I can't see their human aspect. I see their Ishta Devatas. So whatever is your chosen form of God, that shines forth. How can I talk to, to God in that form? How can I give advice? I have to bow down. After some time, that form fades away and the human form comes in front. Then I can give advice. Then I can teach. And so it can happen that the Vavaharika level, the transactional level at which we interact with the world, it can get erased for in the case of some people for some time. And of course, in Samadhi, it gets erased, of course for that particular period of time. Then the next verse is, so this is one uh, major consequence of enlightenment, samadarshina. All the high and the low that we see, this difference is erased for the enlightened person. Tallest of trees and the shortest of bushes it all seems the same when you climb up. I remember climbing up a particularly high peak and looking down into a valley in the, in the uh, Himalayas when I was staying there. And all those towering trees, which I used to walk through from that peak, when I looked down, they all looked like stalks of grass far down in the valley. 
so all the so called high and mighty and the so called poor and miserable they all seem the same from a very high altitude from a very high lofty perspective samadarshina this is also another reason i must add this that um this practice of equality this practice of um considering people everybody to be your equal and um, you know sort of demolishing hierarchy that's a good thing for vedanta swami vivekananda more than 100 years ago he noted that india and indian society where he had come from is very hierarchical you know um caste and uh, the, the well born and the poor and the inferior just notice even the language here so the the dog eater is a, is an example of a very inferior person but when swami vivekananda noted more than 100 years ago when he came here even europe was is hierarchical was and is is also hierarchical but when he came to united states swami ji noted the democratic spirit here he writes that pat is today saint patrick's day yesterday um so he says that when pat comes from ireland is beaten down and cowed down and he comes to new york and, uh, and he's told well pat you are as much of a man as i am and he stands up straight and he walks and that you know the dignity comes back to him and in a few days he's you cannot recognize him and he says that spirit of sameness he says that vedanta has a greater hope here if people become spiritual vedanta has a greater hope here uh, in india it's this distinctions high and low are so deeply pushed in over centuries of a uh, millennia um, so samadarshina yes from an enlightened perspective all are same and that was very well understood in india whether you are a vedantic and uh, advaitin you see everybody is brahman and everybody as your own self doesn't matter if the person is high born low born man woman um, hindu or muslim or atheist or whatever or even from a devotional perspective it is understood that the devotee of krishna has no caste this is saying among the vaishnavas uh, holy mother sri ramakrishna would say uh, holy mother would say among the children of thakur there is no caste so this is a devotional perspective but quite apart from the devotional perspective the social perspective if one uh, has a democratic spirit it is easier to uh, absorb and understand vedanta because this sameness oneness this is the is not even equality this is something far higher than equality it is oneness literally you are that the so called other is you there is no difference really ultimately so this is why vivekananda mentioned this then the next verse is also very beautiful ihaiva tairjita sargo yesham samye sthitam mana निर्दोषम ही समम ब्रह्मा तस्माद ब्रह्मणि ते स्थिता वेरी ब्यूटीफुल वर्स इवन हियर इन दिस रिलेटिव एग्जिस्टेंस इज कंकर्ड बाय देम हुज माइंड रेस्ट्स इन इक्वालिटी फॉर ब्रह्मन इज इवन एंड फॉल्टलेस देयरफॉर आर दे एस्टैब्लिश्ड इन ब्रह्मन इन वेरी इंपॉर्टेंट पॉइंट हैज बीन मेंशनड हियर वेयर विल यू गेट सैल्वेशन वेयर विल यू गेट मोक्षा वेयर विल यू गेट निर्वाणा फ्रीडम here or elsewhere in this life or after death so most religious approaches are how can one become free in this life itself 
the body itself is subject to old age disease and ultimate death how can that be perfection that's crazy so there is perfection we promise perfection in our religion but it's only after death it may be in a different place you go to heaven or vaikuntha the abode of vishnu of uh, vishnu of narayana um or heaven or the land the pure land of the buddha or somewhere you go and there you will get perfection after death um or a different time not now but after death not now but coming after the coming of the messiah something after later in that particular time not in this body but in a more perfect body which you will get when you go to he- to to heaven it will be made perfect you will get perfect body so many of these dualistic religions theistic religions they perf- they promise this perfection freedom in some other place in some other time in some other form or body look at advaita vedanta in, uh, in radical distinction from this he says ihaiva here itself now itself here itself as you are and that sounds cool but how is it possible it's because as you are what are you you are brahman you see you are this little body subject to old age disease covid death then um, perfection is not possible but you are not this body this is what you realize all the good and bad which appears is appearance in a movie it does not affect the screen at all the screen on which the movie plays you are the screen let the movie go on you don't have to stop the movie to attain freedom when is the screen free of the movie okay this is the question when is the movie screen free of the movie after the movie is over well yes but what about during the movie during the movie too there's nothing that happens in a movie the worst of earthquakes the greatest of floods or fires has the slightest effect on the screen the greatest of tragedies will not make the screen weep the greatest of comedies also will not make the screen laugh because they offer they, they are at two levels of reality the screen is the absolute reality whereas the or technically from vedantic perspective the screen is the vyavaharika and the movie is the pratibhasika the screen is transactional and the movie is uh, illusory or appearance similarly brahman is paramarthika absolute this movie of the world is vyavaharika transactional therefore it does not affect you you as brahman you are free here itself you just have to realize that the difference is not between being free and not free the difference is not between being here and in heaven no the difference is not between being in this life and after death no the difference is only between ignorance and knowledge between not knowing it or realizing it and knowing it and realizing it ihaiva taihi jita sarga sarga means creation birth and death they have conquered birth and death they have gone beyond birth and death when not after death now now here itself so this is called sadhyomukti sadhyomukti is direct liberation and this is promised by advaita vedanta and it's promised because you already have it that's your very nature you just have to realize it what is the characteristic samye sthitam manah for those whose minds are centered in sameness what sameness he says nirdosham hi samam brahma brahman is that sameness 
the same existence consciousness bliss the same radiant divinity in every being at all times in all places unconditionally present what language swami vivekananda used here you might be even considered blasphemous the very worm is brother to the nazarene he says the very worm a nazarene is is a son of god jesus christ the worm is the brother because the same divinity everywhere it's as a maximum expression in say in, in uh, ramakrishna or in jesus or krishna there is a very little expression in the worm but the reality is the same behind all both of them and he says nirdosham beyond any fault philosophically it means beyond karma brahman never enters into karma uh, the papa and punya the merits and demerits sins and good deeds they have no effect at all on brahman just as uh, what happens in the movie has no effect uh, on, on the screen tasmat brahmani they stay sthitaha and therefore they are in they, they are established in brahman let me quickly look at the activity in the chat so two very beautiful verses they have the same theme what is the theme sameness why sameness because all is brahman rather more precisely all is not brahman alone is and you realize that um consequence you get freedom here and now right away in this life let's go through the questions oh abhijit has given 98 volumes gandhi ji's complete was all right so i was more very close 100 volumes how could that man write 98 volumes of in the midst of that intense life and it's all available uh, online uh, how is gyana alpana is asking how is gyana same as the self mm. what is gyana gyana is knowledge is knowledge the same as the self so if i read an encyclopedia is myself going to get bigger if i get amnesia is myself going to become less no gyana is same as the self in what sense gyana has two meanings one is vritti gyana one is swarupa gyana vritti gyana means the the knowledge in the mind the movements of the mind the activity of the mind that produces the knowledge with which we are acquainted with when i read a book when i hear something learn something remember something these are all called vritti activity of the mind but behind all vrittis is what consciousness the one unchanging awareness which you are you should say i am behind all vrittis behind means i am the illuminator of all vrittis i am the revealer of all vrittis all the vrittis of the mind they appear and disappear in me you the foundation the ground of all of these vrittis the illuminator of all of these vrittis i'm translating from hindi satta or spurti satta means existence spurti means illumination um you give existence to all thoughts all knowledge and you illumine all of that that is revealed because of you another name uh, for you is gyana so gyana has these two meanings activity of the mind the knowledge which you get in the mind very precisely vritti gyana and consciousness itself the reality swarupa gyana so in that sense gyana is same as the self not in the sense of the activity of the mind anuradha is asking 
could you please explain the difference between awareness and consciousness no awareness and consciousness i'm using indiscriminately you see uh, because there is no uh, clear word corresponding to chaitanya the many words used in vedanta chaitanyam chit uh, samvit chiti there are different words which are used in vedanta but there's no exact equivalent in in english that's why awareness and consciousness i'm using the same sense the little uh, confusion is raised because of for example i've seen uh, nisargadatta's book those who have read i am that so he will say something like this consciousness is temporary when the body dies the consciousness is gone only awareness remains so <laughs> what actually it's all translation from marathi so in what sense is he using awareness and consciousness is using consciousness as vritti jnana and awareness as swarupa jnana as pure consciousness so i'm just using words like that i mean chaitanyam uh, pure awareness or pure consciousness um bill is asking who is the divine dreamer can't be consciousness it's conscious divine dreamer as we have, we have to go back to vedanta sara consciousness plus the causal body plus the subtle body so the divine dreamer would be precisely the cosmic mind hiranyagarbha who is the sum total of all our minds consciousness in itself does not dream and by the way just i mean even divine dreamer one need not use that terminology because uh, it's just an example you can just as well say the divine creator punita ji says dream state and its people and objects are easily resolved as non-dual by almost all regardless of faith nationality etc despite similarity the waking state and its people and objects are dis- difficult to resolve or accept as non-dual even for the most dedicated seekers why so why so how best to remove this ignorance single pointedly okay this is a very single pointed question um dream state and its objects its contents are resolved as non-dual what does it mean the moment we wake up we realize whatever and whoever we experienced whatever whoever whenever we experienced in the dream world nothing other than me the dreamer my mind other than my mind so i have become identified with the dreaming mind when i wake up i was dreaming oh it's all nothing other than my dream fine then the non duality non duality means and there is no second thing in my dream apart from me the dreamer that becomes clear only from my perspective as the waker now what perspective do i have to adopt in the waking state to realize this entire universe is nothing apart from me what perspective and why is it difficult the per- we have to a- adopt the perspective of consciousness for that first of all i was i have to become aware of what or understand at least what is meant by consciousness and for that we must thoroughly go through uh, these processes drig drishya viveka the discrimination is take take it very seriously step by step follow it in your experience not as an argument not as a philosophy in the first instance as an argument as a philosophy but actually in our own experience it's a wonderful thing that it's available to us right now it's not something that is promised as a result of lot of sadhana you will get in this life maybe next life who knows no no it's available to you right now if you look closely 
That's all. You have to look closely. And how to look is being pointed out by these texts. Do Drigdrishya Viveka. Do the Panchakosha Viveka. Do the Avastatraya of the Mandukya. And notice what consciousness is. Step one. Notice means get a clear idea at least. Get a clear understanding of what is meant by consciousness. You may say, oh, no, I know all of that. I know what is consciousness. No, you don't. In most cases, we do not know. We are just thinking about some subtle form of the mind. I'll tell you something. If you get a very clear idea of what is meant by consciousness, just an understanding, a very clear understanding of what is meant by consciousness, you will become enlightened. Enlightenment is nothing other than the deepening of this understanding. It's that close. It is you. Why should it not be? Why should you not become enlightened? So actually, we do not understand. That's why I keep. That's why in, our, in classical Vedanta, the emphasis is not on meditation. The emphasis is not even on reasoning. The emphasis is on listening. Shravan. The Upanishads and Rigdrishya Viveka, the Gita, the you know, Aparokshanubhuti, Vivek Chudamani, they all are saying one and the same thing. Just listen carefully. If you get bored of listening to the same thing over and over again, there are so many different texts. That's why you have a wide range of texts, all telling you the same thing, all trying to slowly take you by the hand and step by step, point you towards your reality and hope that you make the jump. So, Make that jump. But even that is not the answer to Punitaji's question. Once you have made the jump, you have taken the perspective of consciousness. It's, it's that deep, that easy and that difficult. From that perspective, you have to resolve the objects of the waking state. All the people and the things in the waking state, they are non-dual, not second, apart from you, the consciousness. You have to only from that perspective. Otherwise, we have the perspective of body-mind. From that perspective, you cannot resolve the objects of waking state into uh, Atman. You cannot realize non-duality here. You can't realize non-duality here. I asked a very great teacher of Advaita. He teaches uh, in Chennai. So, uh, and he told me this thing. That the Drishti Shrishti Vada, that is from a dream perspective. From the waking perspective, if you want to resolve everything back into consciousness, you must take the stand as consciousness. Right now, what stand are we taking? We are um, consciously or unconsciously, knowingly or unknowingly, we, we naturally take, I am this person. Imagine, in the dream, you are also a person, in your dream. And if that person tried to resolve the entire dream universe into himself or herself, impossible, can't do it. You would have to wake up from the dream. So that is the answer. How best to remove this ignorance single-pointedly? Concentrate on Shravana. Then concentrate on experience. Experience means whatever you are hearing, whatever the teaching is, notice in your experience. Carefully notice the body. Carefully notice the breath. Carefully notice thoughts. Carefully notice the intellect which is noticing. Go beyond that. Carefully notice the blankness. Try to notice the noticer. You can't, but you will become the noticer. So that is consciousness. But actually, you must do it in experience. The usual result of trying to do that is a headache. <laughs> then uh, Vishwanathan says, 
Namaste, Swamiji. You mentioned that for some Jeevan Muktas, it is difficult to operate at the transactional level, Swami Shivana in the story. Sometimes from our perspective, it looks like suffering. Ramana Maharshi leaving his home and going hungry or meditating in different difficult spaces. For them, are they able to transcend such suffering because they see the deep, deeper truth? Correct. They can transcend. If they bring their mind to the body, they will actually experience suffering exactly as much as we do. But they can also see the underlying truth, the deeper truth, the reality, the screen behind the movie. And so in that sense, they, they transcend the suffering, whereas we cannot, because we operate only at the level of the movie. We operate only at the level of the dream. And therefore, it's very difficult for us to transcend. They can transcend. Then Abhijit is asking, these words, awareness and existence are so tightly coupled that we can't talk about one without the other. Whatever exists has to be in awareness and whatever is in awareness has to exist. Uh, this super tight bond points to the fact that awareness is existence and existence is awareness. That, thus they are not two different words, but are the same thing. Is this so? Absolutely so. But the problem is this. What you are saying is already, if you have understood that, you've already gone very far ahead. Normally in the waking state, existence and awareness are not coupled. So I exist, no doubt about it, and I'm aware. I'm aware of my own existence and I'm aware of other things. But I see so many objects in front of me. A laptop is there, book is there, table is there. I see them as existing, but I don't see, I don't, it doesn't seem that they are awareness. I know what you are saying. This existence cannot be appreciated apart from awareness so that it does not exist apart from awareness. Awareness and existence go together. In fact, if you notice closely what you mean by existence in your experience, what you mean by existence in your experience is nothing other than your awareness. Notice, whatever we think as existing is basically your awareness only which, is, which gives you the feeling of existence. And it's your feeling of existence, which is borrowed, so to speak, by everything that you experience as existing. Astitva and Chaitanya are, are deeply coupled. They are one and the same thing. You're right. But in the normal waking state, it, is, it seems to be separate. It seems that these... See, this is the question that I asked the master of Advaita who teaches in Chennai. The objects of the world seem to exist apart from me. When I leave the room, this seems to exist. It's sort of intuitive for us. The world exists and then I come to be aware of it. It's the perspective of Srishti Drishti Vada. World is created and then I'm thrust into the world and I'm experiencing it. But how do we go to the fact that everything is in my experience? I know my, my thoughts and my dreams are in my experience, but there's an external world which does not seem to be in my experience. That's because I'm identified with this individual being, body-mind. That's why this is happening. So this re realization, existence and awareness are the same thing, is the key which will open the door. Charles Chow is saying, then what is intuition? See, again, these words are very approximate. Intuition or instinctive feeling that is used in a certain way in English. I am trying to use it for a very specific use that when you have seen very clearly with your intellect, you've seen very clearly that I cannot be this body. 
I cannot be this subtle body. I cannot be even the causal body, the blankness beyond physical body and subtle body. Then I intuitively grasp the experience, the witness of these bodies. That's where intuitive intuition works. One Swami explained it to me very well. Just watch this. I liked it so much. It's exactly like that, actually. It is in an aquarium. Have you seen fish? They swim like this. The fish are swimming like this. Little fish, they swim like this. And when they reach the end of the aquarium, what do they do? They swim like this. And then they turn this way and come again, start swimming this way. They make a sudden turn. Have you noticed this? Can you make that sudden turn into yourself? Not into body, not into breath, prana, not into thoughts, not even into understanding, not even into the darkness of sushupti, into that which illumines and reveals, because of which all of these are experienced by you. That is your real nature. Uh, Pradeep Bose is asking, worldly folks seek pleasure or happiness via change and variety. They consider sameness as boring. But enlightened beings are in bliss while perceiving sameness amidst the same variety. Is this a valid uh, observation? Yes. But that bliss comes not from the sameness. It is the sameness uh, which underlies all this wild variety. When the variety is not there in samadhi, they are at absolute peace. And when the variety comes, they are in delight. Because they see the sameness appearing in this variety. Whereas for us, what happens is, we jump into the variety and we embrace a little part of it, this body and mind as I, my life, and everything else is the other from whom I can get something or some, I can lose something. And this raga, dvesha, likes and dislikes start. We are all immersed in the variety without knowing the background. We are immersed in the movie without knowing the screen, without knowing it's a movie. We are in the dream without knowing the dreamer. This is the problem. The enlightened person um, knows the dreamer, knows that it is a movie and therefore he can enjoy the aesthetic experience of the movie. It is art to the enlightened person. Uh, to us, it's tragedy. So the enlightened person experiences the variety, just like us, but it's a delight for the enlightened person. In Kashmiri Shaivism, again and again, Abhinava Gupta bursts into poetic delight at seeing the variety of, this is all of it is Shiva. Even the tragedies of life, the sorrows of life, from the enlightened perspective, of course, you should not go to a starving person, sick person, uh, or a humiliated person and say, it is all Shiva. <laughs> that is unkind. Okay, let us end here. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu